point at the end, that's fine. Chavod. Okay, all right, thank you. Uh, good evening to everyone. Uh, you know, if, if you're invited to speak somewhere, then uh, you, you can usually just choose a random topic. But if you're invited a second time, then you have to start worrying that there might be a third time as well. And then, and then, uh, and then it becomes more of a hassle to keep coming up with topics. So I thought that instead of, you know, each time, each time trying to, uh, as they say, reinvent the wheel, that we, I would pick a topic that could actually be sort of somewhat continuous and recurring in case a, a third invite uh, does uh, does occur. So. Um, Sorry, Rav, there's going to be more than three. There's going to be minimum, minimum, minimum uh, 20, 30. So please be prepared. <laughs> right, but, well, the, the issue I chose, I think, could take us still uh, easily until the, uh, uh, the coming of the Mashiach. Uh, so uh, it's, it's uh, um, uh, Shimon Peres, I think, what said that, you know, if you have a project to work on, you know, it, it drives you to keep on living. So that's why he said he took on the peace project because, you know, that never happens, so it never ends. So anyway, so that's sort of the topic we chose mm -hmm. here, I chose here. So the issue, we spoke last time, we got into the issue of Sefer HaMitzvot and the counting of the So what I thought was we would, we would study topics from Sefer HaMitzvot. And, and really, when you learn Sefer HaMitzvot, you know, the counting of the 613 mitzvot, and how it's done, it really raises some very, very fundamental issues. It's really incredible how each topic within Sefer HaMitzvot is not just a, sometimes it's not just a local topic, but it actually raises some very fundamental issues. So the Rambam, in, when he wrote his Sefer HaMitzvot, he gave 14 rules as to how to count mitzvot, what defines a mitzvah, how you categorize a mitzvah. And his first rule, interestingly, was, um, was that you do not count mitzvot de Rabbanan, okay? In other words, when we speak about 613 mitzvot of the Torah, we're all talking about 613 mitzvot, which are actually written in the Torah, um, that are, were given at Sinai. And he says, therefore, rabbinical mitzvot that were only... Uh, so to speak, legislated at a later point in history, they're not included within that list of 613 mitzvot. Okay, so that seems to be something quite self-evident. Uh, Zav said that uh, 613... Sorry, can, sorry, Rob, sorry, Rob. Can everybody please mute? Thank you. Okay. Right, so please mute yourselves, and if somebody wants to speak up then and ask questions or argue, please do. You can also write in, in the chat box. I'll try to follow along anybody wants to write there a question or a comment. <clears throat> okay, so again, uh, Chazal said that uh, 613 mitzvot were given at Sinai, so therefore the Rambam says rabbinical mitzvot should not be counted. Why, why did he even need to say that? The reason he needed to say that is because if you look at enumerations of mitzvot that preceded the Rambam in, from the times of the Geonim, and in the times of the Geonim, many of the Geonim um, uh, wrote lists of the 613 mitzvot, many of those lists actually included mitzvot de Rabbanan. Like, for example, the Bahag, the Baal Alachot Gdolot, included mitzvot like uh, the reading of the Megillah and lighting Hanukkah candles, even though those obviously were not, could not have been given at Sinai because they were based on events that occurred at much later point in history. Okay? So there's a whole discussion as to why the Geonim did that. The Rambam says he doesn't understand it, it cannot be, and it must be uh, 613 mitzvot. Now, what's interesting, where, where does this discussion get even more interesting, is because within this discussion of, of not listing mitzvot de Rabbanan, the Rambam gets into the question of what obligates actually if these mitzvot de Rabbanan, mitzvot instituted by the Chachamim, or prohibitions instituted by the Chachamim were not given at Sinai, then what obligates us to fulfill them? And he gets into that question and he offers his opinion, which he actually doesn't just state there, but he then states it on again in many other places. And the Ramban, reading the Ramban's opinion, argues with him on this very fundamental question, and it really is a very fundamental question, what obligates us to uh, observe the uh, mitzvot of Chachamim? 
מצוות of the Torah, we know, that was given by, by God, by Hashem. But the Chachamim, what gives them the authority to, to legislate and, you know, obligate us to do things or prohibit us uh, from doing certain things? Okay, so that's the question that I hope to deal with uh, this evening. Okay, so without further ado, um, well, first, uh, I'll, I'll share the, the source pages on the screen, and we'll see first the psukim upon which the, the, the argument of the Rambam, upon which the, the argument of the Rambam in the Ramban Center. Okay. So the psukim that we have is from Parashat Shoftim, from what we read in the uh, weekly uh, uh, parasha a few weeks ago. Okay, and it says there in Parashat Shoftim, interesting, just the context of these psukim there, this whole section in the Torah sort of deals with all the, um, so to speak, political institutions, the, you know, the ruling institutions the, the, that we have within what should be, let's say, a Jewish government. So you have there the king, you have here what we'll read now about the Chachamim, uh, you'll ha you have there about uh, the Navi, okay? So it's the different, different people who are, so to speak, in charge of the nation. Okay, so it says there, Ki pale nimcha davar lemishpat, bein dam le dam, bein din le din, uvein nega le nega divrei rivot b'sha'arecha, vekamta v'alita el ha-makom asher yivchar Adonai lo'echabo. So if, let's say, so apparently the assumption here is that you have sort of a judicial system, and you have sort of local courts, regional courts, but let's say, or local authorities, let's say, and, but if they have something which they don't know what the halacha is, what the law is on that, then they go to the chosen place, okay? And where you go there, and what happens then? So you come to the Kohanim, the Levim, whoever is, because the Kohanim and the Levim, they were the ones that were actually supposed to be the, the Chachamim. They were supposed to be free from working the land and supported by the Trumotu Masro, the sort of taxation which was given the, the tithes that were given to the Kohanim and Levim, and they were supposed to be the Torah scholars. And they're, they're at the place where the Makom Asher Yifchar Hashem the place that God chooses, which is also the place of where you have the uh, worshiping of the Kohanim and the Levim by offering sacrifices. So the scholars are also supposed to be located in that place. And we know that in Beit HaMikdash, there was a certain area within Beit HaMikdash which was dedicated to the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court. Okay, so we see here the psukim, they're sort of indicating to us why is it important that they be in this place that Hashem chose, because they are you will do based on what they tell you from this place that God chose. In other words, because they're in the place that God shows, what they tell you, the law that they tell you is supposed to be divinely inspired. And then, you must obey what they tell you. Okay, so you cannot deviate uh, from what they tell you left or right. Just one second. Okay, um, so we have both here a positive commandment, what they instruct you or the judgment that they tell you, you must do. What you cannot deviate left or right from it. And if somebody uh, maliciously does not listen to the Kohen or the judge that will be in those times, then you have, a, 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 he receives the death penalty. In other words, uh, there is a capital punishment for challenging the authority of the uh, Kohen or the Shofet who is in that place that God shows. And that will sort of uh, threaten everybody else to, to listen, to obey to their authority and, and not to deviate from their rulings, okay? So this, this is the primary psukim where we have this command to listen to the rule, you know, the chachamim, the authoritative chachamim, um, which again are supposed to be in 
the place that Hashem chose it, so in the times of the Beit HaMikdash, that would be Yerushalayim. And uh, we have here both a positive commandment, and also the, the prohibition, Okay, now, as to how to understand this commandment is the subject of the Machloket between the Rambam and the Ramban. Okay, so the Rambam says as follows, and this is in his, in the Shorashim of Sefer HaMitzvot, in other words, these are the guidelines as to how to count mitzvot. So as I said, he says, HaShorash HaRishon, she'en ra'oi limnot b'chlal azgayim mitzvot she'en midrabana. Okay, so as we said, the basic rule that the Rambam says at, at the, at the uh, you know, as his first rule, you do not count amongst the 613 mitzvot, mitzvot which are, which are only rabbinical. And he mentions here the geonim that did count. So he said, what brought them to make this mistake? So he explains as follows, and here I'm just reading the part that I underlined. He says, so he says, what brought the Geonim to make this mistake and list mitzvot de Rabbanan amongst the 613 mitzvot is because when we do these mitzvot de Rabbanan, we say the bracha av, let's say, for example, before we start reading the Megillat Esther in Purim, so we say, Baruch atah Hashem Elokeinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Kidshanu Mitzvotah Vetzivanu Al Mikra Megillah. So we're saying that God commanded us to read the Megillah. Where did God command us to read the Megillah? V'Shelat HaTalmud Eichan Sivanu. So the Gemara in Masechet Shabbat asks, where did Hashem command us to read Megillah or to light the Ner Chanukah? And the answer is, V'amru Milot Asur. Okay, because as this, this is the Tzukim that we just read, that the Torah said you cannot deviate from what the Chachamim said. So therefore, if the Chachamim told us to uh, light uh, candles or read Megillah, then we, are in, we must obey. Uh, yeah, Sina, you want to ask something? Yeah, I just wanted to add a comment about that because I remember when I was in Israel a few years back, I spent some time with some Karaites, mm -hmm. and the argument the Karaites used again and again to try and prove me as a Rabbanite wrong is how can you say that's blessing on Purim when you know God never commanded you that? Right. So um, just a side comment, because it was very interesting that uh, it's part of the discussion tonight. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, very interesting. By, by the way, um, if you mentioned the Karaim, I was just reading earlier, Chacham Faur, in the book that you sent me, Yunim Bebishnat Rambam, he also discusses this issue that we're getting tonight, and he also at some point gets into the whole issue of the Karaites and what exactly their objection was. Um, uh, Maybe that's a class we need to do soon. Uh, yeah, there, there is, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot going on here. And within this issue also, the, both the Rambam and the Rabban address the Karaites. Okay, I don't think we'll get into that tonight, but the, that's definitely connected to this topic. Um, so anyway, uh, the, the Gemara says, the, where, where did God command us to do the mitzvot de Rabbana? And in essence, in the Psukim that we just said, you, you have to obey the Chachamim, lo Okay, so now the Rambam continues. So therefore, but why, why nevertheless, I can't count this amount amongst these 613 mitzvot. So he says, says, <laughs> Okay, so basically the argument of the Rambam is as follows. He says it is correct that we're obligated to do, to obey the Chachamim based on these Tzukim, but if that's a reason to list it amongst the 613 mitzvot, then why just Mikra Megillah Ner Chanukah? You can list every mitzvah the Rabbanan that there is, and every prohibition the Rabbanan that there is, and then obviously you would end up with a lot more than 613 mitzvot. Okay, so he says, and they should have counted many more things like netilat yadayim, like eruv, so many other things that they didn't count, they could have counted if you're going to list every mitzvot de Rabbana. Okay. Um, so we see here from the Rambam that when we say that the Torah obligates us lishmoa divrei chachamim, that includes also the mitzvot de Rabbana. Okay, soon we'll see why that's not so self-evident. But first, I just want to demonstrate that this is definitely the opinion of the Rambam. 
Okay, so he says this in a number of other places. Um, he says here in Sefer HaMitzvot, Mitzvat HaSekuf Ein Dalid, again, this is where he lists the commandment to listen to the, um, to the Beidina Gadol, in other words, sort of the high, the supreme rabbinical court. So he says here, Vamitzvah Kuf Ein Dalid, so the 174th mitzvah is the mitzvah to listen to the Supreme Court and to do everything that they command. Okay, so let's read this carefully. So he's saying there is no difference whether this is something that they, that they think is correct. Here is referring to the, um, there are 13 principles that Chazal used to interpret and derive halachot from the psukim. Like, for example, all kinds, okay? So it doesn't matter where it's something that they came up with because they thought of it, or it's something that they used one of these techniques to derive to the psukim, or something that they agreed upon, or even something, and here is the critical line, in other words, even if it's something which is not part of the Torah, but they think that this will support and is needed for the Torah, we also have to obey them. So we see here that the Rambam includes in this mitzvah, listening to Chachamim, not only in regards to their interpretation of the Torah or into halachot that they somehow derive from the Torah, but even things that they feel necessary to add on to the Torah. Okay, so for example, you know, we know the Torah prohibited uh, mixing uh, milk with meat. This is one of the examples the Rambam will give later on. Okay, Chachamim felt that even though chicken with, with milk is not prohibited from the Torah, but if that would be permitted, it would cause confusion, so they prohibited that as well. That's something sort of that they saw as necessary for uh, support, support of the Torah, okay? So even that is included in this mitzvah, okay? He repeats this again also in the Mishneh Torah, in a number of places, I'll just uh, show one, okay? In Hilchot um, Mamrim, okay, Hilchot Mamrim, uh, literally translated, those who disobey authority, those who rebel, okay? So we have, we, we sort of, Yilchot Mamrim includes two authorities that you are not allowed to rebel against. One is the Beidin Agadol, the, the high court, and the other is your parents, okay? Both of those are included in Yilchot Mamrim. Um, so he says there in Yilchot Mamrim, Perek Aleph, Beidin Agadol Shebirushalayim hem ikar Torah shebaal peh. In other words, they are the oral Torah. From they are they are the ones that you know uh, send out the law to all of Israel. Okay, and this is regarding this Beit Din Agadol in Yerushalayim. That's what the Torah was referring to. That you the, that said the, when the Torah said that you must follow Alpiya Torah Shir Yerucha. And everybody who believes in Moshe Rabbeinu and his Torah, he has to rely upon them and observe the religion in accordance with their instructions. Okay, we keep here, I keep, the Rambam here keeps speaking about Beidin Agadol. There is an interesting discussion, which we won't get into tonight, what happens when there is no Beidin Agadol? Is there some sort of central authority which can replace them, when we, unfortunately, when we don't have a Beidin Agadol in Yerushalayim? Okay, but let's, let's not, you know, uh, get into that. Let's speak about when there is definitely a clear central rabbinical authority. And he says here in Anachah Be'et, כל מי שאינו עושה כהוראתן, עובר בלא תעשה, שנאמר לא תסור מכל הדבר אשר יגידו לך ימין ושמאל. If you disobey one of their instructions, you're over the prohibition of לא תסור מכל הדבר אשר רוחה, ואין לו קין עליו זה מפני שניתן להזרת מיתת ביתי. Okay, here, is a, just, just I'll just uh, briefly explain what, what the Rambam is talking about here. Generally, the principle is in the Torah, the standard is that any prohibition that appears in the Torah, the standard punishment for it is lashes, right? That you receive 
uh, lashes, 39 lashes by, by OIP. That's sort of the, the standard punishment. However, there are all kinds of ex exceptions to this rule. For example, certain prohibitions for, it, for which there's a monetary payment. So there's no lashes. Instead, there's the monetary payment. Certain prohibitions have capital punishment, death penalty. So also there's no lashes, there's death penalty. Now, sometimes you have certain prohibitions in which it's not always that you have capital punishment, only in certain specific scenarios, okay? So those are what we call it means it's a prohibition, which in a certain scenario is subject to capital punishment. Once a prohibition is even in a singular scenario subject to capital punishment, no lashes are, are issued even on other scenarios where there is no capital punishment for some reason, okay? So the Rambam here says that this prohibition of not deviating from the authority of the Chachamim, since there is a scenario where one would receive capital punishment on it, as we read in the Psukim, and that scenario is a very specific scenario. Uh, we're not going to get into all the details of it, but just I'll say briefly that that scenario is what we call a Zaken Mamre. Zaken Mamre is basically a Chacham. It can't be just any, anybody. It has to be somebody who is a qualified Chacham. Um, he knows, he has knowledge, he, he's in a position to issue halachic rulings, and he comes and does not accept the authority of the Beidin Agador. In other words, the Beidin Agador rule on a certain issue one way, and he says, no, I disagree with you on the halacha, and I'm instructing people to do otherwise and to not, not follow what the Beidin Agador are saying, but rather follow what I'm saying. Okay, that's what we call a zaken mamre, and they're very specific criteria. It has to be regarding specific issues that he disagrees with the Beidin Agador. Um, so, um, so uh, what, what, what counts, I see somebody is asking, what counts as a, a qualified chacham in the scenario of a zaken mamre? Okay, look, there are a lot of details. If you want to go into it, you, you have to read the, the, the following parak in Yilchot Mamrim and the Rambam. In the following uh, chapters, he, he defines it more precisely. But just suffice it to say that there is a certain scenario where um, you have a chacham who challenges the authority of the Beidin Gadol, in which case he's liable for the death penalty. Because of that, the Rambam says that even a person who uh, transgresses this prohibition, not in that format of a chacham uh, instructing otherwise than the Beidin Gadol, you know, somebody could be just a private individual who for some reason decides not to obey the Beidin Gadol, so he doesn't receive the capital punishment on one hand, but on the other hand, he won't receive lashes either. Why? Because once the prohibition has a certain scenario in which capital punishment is issued, then that's it. No other punishments are issued uh, for this uh, prohibition. Okay, uh, so now let's continue. So now the Rambam says as follows. Um, he says, ve'en lokin alav ze mitnei shenitan la'azarat mitat beidin, שכל חכם שמורה על דבריהם מיתתו בחנק שנאמר באיש אשר יעשה בזדון. Because if, if we have a חכם that rebels against their rulings, then he receives capital punishment. So now what does this include? So now he says, אחד דברים שלמדו אותם מפי השמועה, והן תורה שבעל פה. So you could either disagree with them regarding the oral tradition of the Torah. Okay, for example, we can give an example, what's an oral tradition of the Torah? That... Uh, when it says on, uh, that on Sukkot, we need to take Priya Sadar, that it's referring to the specific uh, fruit of the Etrog tree. Okay, that's, for example, something that uh, we would learn out from oral tradition. Second thing is something that Chachamim derived from one of these principles as to how to derive laws from the psukim in the Torah, from the verses in the Torah. And finally, Also included this in things that Chachamim added as a fence to the Torah, or because they saw that there was a need for it in their times, and this includes gzirot. Gzirot are sort of additional prohibitions beyond what the Torah prohibited. Takanot are positive institutions, like for example, to light Hanukkah candles, and minagot are also certain practices 
which Chachamim saw that the people were doing and they sort of uh, formalized them as, as, as positive things that should be done. So each of these three things, there is a mitzvah to say commandment from the Torah to listen to the Chachamim, and anybody who transgresses them is, is uh, transgresses the prohibition of not following the Takanab the, the Chachamim. In other words, when it says it's referring to these additional things that the Chachamim are adding to preserve and strengthen the religion and the world. That's referring to the things that they derive from the uh, principles, the 13 principles as to how to uh, derive halachot from the Torah. That's referring to the tradition that they received. Okay, so basically what comes out from the words of the Rambam in all these places is that anything which Chachamim institute automatically now takes on the authority of commandment from the Torah. Because the Torah said, you must do anything the Chachamim tell you or Beidin Gadol tell you. And... Um, and if you don't, you're transgressing a prohibition. And that's what allows us to say, Asher uh, like we say every day when we wash before bread, where did the Torah say to wash hands? It doesn't say anywhere. But since the Chachamim said it, and the Torah said, Hashem said to listen to obey the Chachamim, that's where we find the commandment to do Okay, now the Ramban, comes along and argues with the Rambam very severely on this point. And basically his claim is a very simple one, okay? He, is, he, he says the following. He says, basically, uh, you, the Rambam, you've turned every derabanan into a doraita, okay? Everything rabbinical actually now takes on the same authority as all the Torah commandments. What's, what then distinguishes between What's mina Torah and what's mid Rabbanan? Everything that's mid Rabbanan now automatically becomes at the same level of commandment as a Torah commandment and a prohibition. Okay, why is this problematic? Well, we'll see now in the words of the Ramban. He explains why why this is problematic. This this claim of the Ramban. Okay, and he says as follows. This is the uh, Ramban in his Hasagot, in his comments, his critiques on, on the uh, on Sefer Mitzvot of the Ramban. So jumping down here, my fourth pages. He says as follows. He says, according to the Rambam, that basically every, every uh, commandment or prohibition with Rabbanan is actually commanded from the Torah and the Kol Asher Yerucha and Lot Asu, then we should be very strict about obeying the Rabbanan because they're actually very considered to be very severe prohibitions. For example, what the, Ram, the, 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 the Ramban is saying that if, let's say, you have, let's say, uh, uh, cheese of Gvinot uh, Goim, right? Cheese of non-Jews, which is a rabbinic prohibition. In essence, it's no less severe than a Torah prohibition not to eat a non-kosher animal. It's the, the same level of prohibition. This is a lotase, and here we have a lotase. What's the difference? And wh why is this problematic? Well, we see that Chazal himself did not treat it that way because they, they took many, many leniences on things that there are derabanan. For example, If let's say I have a doubt as to whether Let's say I, uh, as to whether there's a, a Torah prohibition here, then I must be strict. But if I have a doubt as to whether there's a rabbinical prohibition here, then I can be lenient. So let's say, for example, 
if I have a piece of meat and I have some reason that there's a, a doubt whether it's kosher or not kosher, uh, if it's kosher meat or non-kosher meat, I need to be strict. But if, let's say I'll have a cheese, you know, for some reason there's a doubt, uh, maybe something got mixed together or something of the sort, whether it's kosher cheese or not kosher cheese, then I'm allowed to be lenient. So we see here that they treat rabbinical prohibitions as more lenient, okay? Okay, it's a certain type of, that you're assuming that the situation is a certain situation which allows you to be more lenient. Okay, now he quotes other leniencies as well. Okay, we know usually that somebody who is a katan, he's a child, he hasn't yet reached the age of bar mitzvah, he cannot, he's not believed on testimony, he cannot testify. But on issues of the Rabbanan, he is believed. For, for example, here he quotes here, when you're checking for chametz, so that's a rabbinical requirement, because mina Torah, it's enough to just say that you're canceling out all the, all the chametz. So if a katan tells you, I checked, there's no chametz there, then you could believe him in a certain situation. Okay? And he says even more than that. Sometimes you have a certain doubt, which is contradictory, okay? And on issues of the Rabbanan, we could sort of go lenient both ways, even, even when it's sort of two contradictory doubts. Okay, and he quotes here also many other cases that we are lenient on rabbinical prohibitions. So for example, if you have an issue of, he quotes later on, of Tzal Ba'alei Chaim, okay? That you have an animal which is in pain and it's Shabbat, you are allowed to do certain Yisurei de Rabbanan on Shabbat, you know, to alleviate the pain of of the animal, as opposed to Yisur Torah of Shabbat, you would not be allowed to do, okay? Okay, he says here at the end, K'lelo shel davar shedivrei sofrim chalukim em bekol dinehem midivrei Torah le'akel be'elu le'achmir be'elu v'im haya over al divrehem o sheino mekeem mitzvot shelehem over al asse ve'alotas haya chomer gadol be'em v'lo hayu ruim l'kulot alalu. So basically what he sums up and says, that we see clearly from all these things, and we know this is a basic principle in halacha. Anytime you're dealing with a halacha question, which is not so evident, you know, the first thing, or one of the first things that you do, you check out, is the issue here a Torah prohibition, or is the issue a Drabanan prohibition? If the issue is Drabanan, you know, there's much more room for maneuver and for leniency. If the issue is, is a Torah prohibition, you have to be much more careful and generally more strict, okay? But he says, why? According to the Rambam, everything which is Drabanan is actually Mina Torah. So what, what allows us all these leniencies on the Rabbanan issues? Okay, now I'm guessing what you're all thinking, that you know, we, we could probably try to answer this very simply. Okay, and we'll see that uh, the Ramban was aware of what seems to be the, you know, the sort of the first answer that comes to mind to answer this question. Um, and he says as follows. I'm sorry, where is this? Here, sorry, I didn't underline it. I should underline it now. Okay, he says. Uh, in other words, you could answer very simply that the Rambam would answer to this question it could be that the reason that we're so lenient on things of Chachamim is not because they're not obligatory from the Torah, they are. But the Chachamim themselves built in these leniencies into their system. In other words, when the Chachamim prohibited something, they said we're only prohibit prohibiting it in the case of certainty. But if there's a doubt, then you can be lenient. They were lenient on also, you know, that a child could also be believed. In other words, all these leniencies by, by the Rabbanan. In other words, the question is the fact that we're lenient on the Rabbanan issues. Does that mean we're lenient about them because they're sort of uh, less, less authoritative, less, less obligatory? Or they're lenient because even though they're on the same level as Torah pro, uh, uh, 
uh, commandments, we're lenient on them because when Chachamim instituted them, they instructed us to be more lenient on them. So the Ramban says, you could say that that would be the Rambam's defense. All these leniencies were sort of built into the system by Chachamim. They're not because we're treating these uh, obligations as, as less authoritative. So what's his answer to that? He says, Okay, so he doesn't really have a sort of a formal rebuttal to this. He just says, that's not correct. That doesn't seem to be correct. Why, why does it not seem to be correct? Because that, that doesn't seem to be what's going on. From everything we read about how the Rabbanan is treated, it doesn't seem to be that it's sort of, yes, it is. we are obligated in it, just like we're obligated in it. You know, but Chachamim allowed us these leniencies. It seems that all these leniencies are actually indicating to us that these obligations are not on the same level as Torah prohibitions. That, you know, there's something substantial here which makes them more lenient. It's not just that Chachamim gave us sort of a more lenient manual guide to go along with them. It seems that it actually reflects something about uh, the nature of their authority. So that's why he, he rejects uh, the opinion of the Rambam and he says, that when the Torah said, it wasn't referring to halachot which were rabbinically instituted. What is it referring to? He says as follows. Um, so he says, rather, skipping down, he says, in other words, the correct opinion is, so he says, what's included in this commandment of listening to the Chachamim? It's only referring to things which are interpreting the Torah or things that are derived from the the, the techniques of deriving halachot from the psukim, or the mashmaut l'shon ha-katuv atzmo, or as to how they interpret the, the, the psukim. V'chen de mashe kiblu alachal moshe mi Sinai, Torah she'bal peh, or the oral tradition that they received from Sinai. She'im yiru hem sheze ha-davar asur ha-motar min ha-Torah, l'fi midrash ha-katuv, o l'fi perusho, o alachal mipi ha-shmoa mimoshe rabbeinu, v'yirae hu hefe chayav l'vatel d'atau l'amin b'ma sh'amru. In other words, according to Ramban, this prohibition only includes uh, the interpretation of the Chachamim of the Beidin Agadol to the Torah itself, to what were commanded from the Torah whether it be that they're interpreting because that's how they read the psukim, or they're because they're using these techniques of Yudgim al Bidot, or because it's a tradition that they received, that's what the Torah commanded that you must obey them, okay? What the majority of the Beidin Agadol agreed upon, that's what the Torah commanded us to do. If somebody rejects their interpretation and follows his own interpretation, and then he becomes the Zaken Mamre. Okay, so here, here he's referring to the Karaites. He says the Karaites are essentially transgressing this prohibition because the prohibition here is actually teaching us that we have to accept the interpretation of the Chachamim to the Torah, we have to accept the Torah and the interpretations of the Chachamim as the uh, uh, interpretation of the Torah. And the Karaites, having rejected that, they're transgressing this prohibition. And that's what this prohibition is referring to. Okay. Um, it's interesting. According to the Rambam, he, the Rambam says that the Karaites are not transgressing the prohibition, not because they're doing something better, but the Rambam says that the Karaites are sort of undermining a fundamental principle of faith. So they're, they're, it's not just that they're transgressing this prohibition, it's sort of even more severe what they're doing. And the Rambam claims that it's only if you're you know, locally arguing regarding a, a specific commentary that you would be transgressing this prohibition. But according to the Rambam, there is no difference. 
anybody who is not, not accepting the interpretation of Chazal to the Torah, he, this is the prohibition that he's transgressing. Okay. Um, and he says, right, because the Torah was given in writing. Okay, so the Ramban says, in other words, the Torah was given in writing, and Hashem knew that disagreements, because any, any written document, there are always going to be disagreements as to, to what it means, okay? Doesn't matter if it's a simple document, and certainly a document like a, uh, the Torah, there are going to be disagreements as to how to interpret it. And God said, this is the authority to interpret the Torah. Whatever they tell you, you know, uh, with that in mind, I gave, I gave uh, the Torah. That's why the Ramban here goes to say, even if you are sure that they're mistaken in their interpretation, you still have to follow them because it doesn't matter because the Torah itself says <coughs> that you should obey it in the way that it's interpreted by the, uh, by the Chachamim. Okay, and he says later on, Okay, so the Ramban says that if you transgress the uh, prohibitions or the commandments which the Chachamim instituted, like you didn't read Megillah and Purim, you didn't wash your hands before eating bread, um, you ate, let's say, chicken with milk, you're not transgressing, this is not included in the commandment of or it's not included in this commandment. This command, these commandments are only referring to when Chachamim interpret the Torah, not when they add on further prohibitions or commandments. Okay, and that's his argument with the Rambam. Okay, now when we, when we take a step back and look at this argument, we realize that we're actually in a very severe sort of logical bind here. Okay. Because let, let's, let's take, for example, first of all, the opinion of the Ramban. Okay, so the Ramban says, what, what is he saying basically? He's saying basically that everything the Chachamim added is not commanded by the Torah. That's sort of, that's not included in what the Torah commandment, that's sort of their own institutions. And that's why, according to the Ramban, they're not as, let's say, as important or as authoritative as the mitzvot of the Torah, and that's why regarding them, we can be lenient in all kinds of uh, situations. If we have a doubt in other forms of leniencies, all the leniencies, all the leniencies that you, know, you have in the toolbox, in the rabbinical toolbox, as to how to be lenient with uh, issues that are the rabbanan. So the question that this raises is, well, if the Torah did not command us to obey the Chachamim on everything that they institute, then why do we need to obey them at all? Okay, forget the fact that I can be more lenient. You know, what obligates us to, to obey at all what the Chachamim says? Okay, this seems to be a very simple question, but the Ramban doesn't answer it. And many of the later Achronim uh, that dealt with this issue, they all raised this question. I brought here in the source passage just one that raised it, but it's actually raised by many in this, you know, there, there's a, a tremendous uh, literature on this question. And just to see it in the words of, um, one of the Achronim, Rabbi Elchanan Wasserman, who wrote a whole section within his book called Divrei Sofrim to deal with the issue of the authoritative nature of, of the Chachamim. So he asked this question on the Ramban, and he says <coughs> as follows. Here he says, after having explained the Ramban's position, he says, Okay, so he says, according to the Ramban, there's no source in the Torah, no source in tradition, no source in svara in logic, that we need to listen to uh, the Chachamim, to the Beidin Gadol, to all the Takanot of the Chachamim. 
So what what obligates us to listen to them? Okay, and you know the sort and the sort of uh, this is sort of the question that the position of the Ramban begs. On the other hand, the position of the Ramban, as we saw in the Ramban, is also problematic. Why? Because if you'll tell me that the Torah commands us to obey whatever Chachamim say, then essentially I've now turned everything that the Chachamim say into also Mina Torah by the nature of this commandment. And that also doesn't seem to be correct because it, it seems that we, we do treat things that are the Rabbanan as sort of less obligatory. We treat them as authoritative, but not as authoritative as, as, as mitzvot Mina Torah. So we're sort of stuck here because if we say, it's sort of like we have system one and system two. Okay, system one is the mitzvot Torah. System two is the rabbinical mitzvot, all the rabbinical addendums. So, it, it, and we, we sort of, we want to separate between these two systems because we don't treat them as the same. And we have sort of different laws for each system and we treat each system as sort of more, one more, more authoritative than the other. So if system one, you know, is commanding me on system two, then in essence, system two is as now raised to the same level as system one. If system one is not the source of authority for system two, then system two seems to be left with, uh, with nothing, with no, no basis for it. Okay, so what's going on here? Okay, so this is the big conundrum and there's a tremendous amount of literature on this question, uh, which obviously we won't go through in the uh, uh, few minutes that we have left. Um, but who, who wrote on this issue? So first of all, many of the commentators on Setel Mitzvot wrote on this issue, Rabbi Elchanan Wasserman, as uh, in this, in this uh, book of his, Divrei Sofrim wrote on it. I saw Chacham Fa'ul wrote on it to some extent in his books. I also saw two other books, uh, contemporary books that dealt, dealt with it. Um, I'm sorry, somebody asking here, is this comparable to how someone should listen to the rabbi, even if the rabbi says that up is down? Okay, there, you're right that, that that's regarding Lotas. Even if they tell you about what's left is right and what's right is left, you listen to them. It doesn't apply to every rabbi. It just applies only to the a supreme authority, even then the question, what, what exactly does that, does that mean? But we're talking about here, not just listening to any rabbi, we're talking about here, listening to the supreme rabbinical authority, whatever that may be. In the, in the times that we had Beidin Agadol, it was clear, and other times it's not as clear. So, so, so who else has written about it? Um, there's a, a very good book, a contemporary book called Nisinai um, Lishkata Gazit, from Sinai to that's where the Sanhedrin was located, which um, um, is a very good book on this topic. There's another book, I forgot the name of it, um, written by Rav Michel Avraham and a few other of his colleagues also on this issue. If anybody's interested in further reading, I can, uh, you can email me and I'll send you um, a further sources of this. And they all sum up the, you know, the many positions that were taken on it. I'll try in the few minutes that we have left to sort of um, quote some of the approaches that have been stated both to resolve the Ramban and the Rambam and also to try to give maybe my own uh, two cents on this issue um, or at least sort of my understanding that I've been trying to, to work out what, what, what um, hopefully to try to get some clarity on this, on this issue because it's a, real, it's a real conundrum. Okay, so let's take first of all uh, Rabbi Khan and Wasserman's discussion in Kovitz Yurim and he raises a few interesting possibilities as to how to address the Ramban, and then from that also to get to the Ramban. So first approach that he takes, this isn't his conclusion, but it's an interesting approach, as to explain the Ramban, first of all, what obligates us to listen to the Chachamim. So he takes a very interesting approach, and he says that, he says as follows, I just underlined a few highlights. He says, yesh lomar, Okay, so the idea that the Rabbi Hanan Wasserman wants to say here is as follows. There are maybe, and we definitely know that there are many things, that even though it doesn't say specifically in the Torah that you should do or you shouldn't do, definitely Hashem would want us to do. 
why is that so? Why do we not say, well, if it doesn't say in the Torah that it's prohibited, then that must mean it's permissible? Because we know that for various reasons, the Torah cannot cover everything. Not every scenario, not every situation can be addressed by the Torah. Also, there are different reasons why to prohibit things. Some things are prohibited because they're wrong on their own count. Some things, you know, they might not be wrong on their own count, but they might lead to other things which be wrong. So you should also refrain from doing things which would lead to you down a wrong, a wrong, a wrong road. Or there are certain situations which might be new that it's, it's not possible to formulate everything in the Torah. So it's clear that beyond what the Torah says, there may be other things that you should do or not do, and we can safely assume that this is Hashem's will, this is God's will, okay? Because we know that to be true, therefore he says now and makes the following argument, anything which the Chachamim, and we're not talking about any Chachamim, it's not, you know, some, like I said, your, your local rabbi who, you know, got out of bed in the morning and decided something. We're talking about, you know, the, 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 the most uh, supreme scholars that we have all gathering together and discussing and reaching a decision. Clearly, if they made this decision, that we can safely assume that God wants us to do this, even though he doesn't say it anywhere in the Torah. But as we said, the Torah cannot address every situation. These are the Chachamim, that they're here on the ground. They're dealing, you know, with the life as is in our times. They're seeing this is a problem that we have to deal with, or they're seeing, let's say, this is something positive. We just had this great miracle. We were saved from, you know, Haman, and we had this great savior. We should do something, you know, to, to commemorate it. This is something positive. We can, we can assume that this is what Hashem wants. Or they're seeing that, you know, we've got this problem. People are eating chicken with, uh, with milk, and then they're, they're mixing also meat with milk because they don't see the difference. So we must prohibit this. Okay, so he says we can safely assume that this is God wants, and that's what, that's the obligatory nature of all the mitzvot of Chachamim. In other words, this idea, our understanding, you know, that what they decided, that's really uh, God's desire, even though it's not explicit in the Torah. Okay, so that's sort of um, the uh, first explanation that he says here. Okay, he says, so on the one hand, since we do understand that they, this reflects God's will, then that's what obligates us to do it. On the other hand, since it wasn't actually formulated, obligated by Torah, that's why they're not as authoritative and that's why we're more lenient about these issues because there isn't an explicit obligation in the Torah. Okay, what's interesting about this is that he uses this idea to solve another problem, uh, other problems, I'll just mention this quickly, but let's say, for example, I'll give you, I'll give you where another case that the Achronim brought up where everybody seems to get stuck. Okay, we know that a katan is not obligated in mitzvot, okay? But we do know, somebody was not yet bar mitzvot, he's not obligated in mitzvot. But we do know that there is an obligation that a katan fulfills mitzvot as part of his education, okay? And some even treat that as an obligation on the katan himself, midirabanan, to fulfill mitzvot, okay? Now, here we get stuck, even according to the Rambam, why? Because let's say the chacham, let's say, what are you saying to, telling us? That the katan is, mina Torah, is not obligated in mitzvot. Only midirabanan he needs to fulfill mitzvot. But what's obligating him on the Drabanan? If the, what's obligating him and the Drabanan is the commandment from the Torah to listen to the Chachamim, he's also exempt from that. So Chachamim have no way of obligating him to do anything. Okay? It's sort of, uh, you, you sort of get stuck on that case, uh, e even according to the Rambam. It's, it's a clever case. You could argue, you know, whether the logic of it is correct or not, but that's sort of the arguments he wants to make. So he says, no, there's a, another source for the obligation of the Chachamim, it's because of us understanding that it's God's will. Okay, so that's, um, that's one explanation that he gives for the Ramban. Uh, along, along these lines, a similar uh, understanding was said by Rav Kook as well. Uh, I didn't quote it here in the source pages, but Rav Kook says that the authority of Chachamim, also he agrees it doesn't come from the Torah in explanation of the Ramban. Rather, it comes from the fact that Am Yisrael accepted the authority of the Chachamim. 
Okay, it's along similar lines to what the Kovach Yurim is saying. In other words, even though this is not an obligation of the Torah, Am Yisrael accepted their authority, again, probably along these same lines, realizing that this is something that's good for us, this is something that we need, okay? And therefore, we realize that the Torah cannot address all cases, cannot cover all bases, that there needs to be room for further legislation. And that's why Am Yisrael generally accepted the authority of Chachamim to add things onto the Torah and institute things. In other words, according to this explanation of the opinion of the Ramban, really the source for the authority of Chachamim is not directly from the Torah commandment. Its source can be found, so to speak, elsewhere, either sort of, um, yeah, uh, you're asking, isn't on the parents? It's an argument. Some say it's only on the parents, and, but some say it's actually on the child himself, the chiyuv of chinuch. Okay, that's why I said that case is, you could argue about it, but it, it depends which understand, how to understand the, the chiyuv of chinuch. Okay, but according to this explanation, basically the authority of the Chachamim does not stem from a direct commandment of the Torah. The commandment of the Torah, as we said, according to the Ramban, is only in regards to interpretation of the Torah, but their authority sort of stems more from us accepting the authority of the Chachamim Again, probably maybe along the lines of the Kovach Yurim, because of this understanding that we need this authority, we need sort of this authority, we need somebody to implement the words of the Torah and to sort of add on to it, um, uh, to, to, to adapt the Torah for all generations. Okay, so that's, that's one possible explanation of the opinion of the Ramban. Getting back to the Ramban, what does the Ramban say about this? The Ramban we saw says clearly that everything Chachamim say is commanded from the Torah. Okay, so I don't want to go too over my time, so I'll just say this idea briefly. Okay, so I think the answer to this question is in something that the Ramban say, Rambam says later on in Yichot Mamrim, and he says this in a number of places, and he says just like we have a commandment to obey the Chachamim, there also is a prohibition which applies even to the Chachamim, of Alright, the Torah says that you cannot add on to the Torah and you cannot detract from it. And the Rambam was very strict about this. And he, he says the Torah is immutable, it cannot be changed. The prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu is a supreme uh, prophecy. No, no, no changes are allowed to be made from the Torah. You can do sort of uh, temporary changes, like in a certain situation or something of the sort. But the Torah itself is eternal and it's immutable, it cannot be changed. So therefore the Rambam asks, how can Chachamim come along and make all these institutions, these takanot, these gzerot, they're adding on to the Torah. So his answer is as follows. When they're doing these takanot and these gzerot, they're not allowed to say that this is from the Torah. They are required to say, this is not from the Torah, but nevertheless, we're prohibiting it. In other words, the Chachamim, they cannot, if they, the Chachamim know, that, and this is the example that he gives, if the Chachamim know that the Torah only prohibited milk and meat, meat from a domesticated animal, and the Chachamim want to come add and add a bird also, not to cook a bird with milk, they're not allowed to say this is also prohibited. They, they're not allowed to tell us that. They cannot mislead us. They must tell us, bird, a chicken with milk, is not prohibited from the Torah, only we, the Chachamim, are coming and prohibiting it. If they would tell us this too is prohibited, just like meat of an animal, they would be violating the prohibition of adding on to the Torah. They must make a clear distinction between what's prohibited from the Torah and what's prohibited from the Chachamim. Who says this answer? This is the Rambam himself says, in Yilchot Manrim. I quoted in the source pages, just because we're out of time, uh, uh, we're not reading it. He says it in a number of places, also in his, in his introduction to the Mishneh Torah. He says the same idea. He says when Chachamim say to us to read the Megillah, they cannot tell us that the Torah commands us to read Megillah and Purim. They must say, we're telling you to read Megillah and Purim because it's important for you to, it's important that you read the Megillah so that you see how God intervened and saved the Jewish people, and therefore you learn from this that it's important to pray to God and he will save you. That's what he writes regarding Megillah, for example. So this distinction is paramount, according to the Rambam. And that's why in all his writings, he goes to great lengths to tell us what is Mina Torah and what is Midrabanan, because it's a very clear demarcation that the Torah commands us to make. 
So I think, I think based on this, the answer is as follows. Again, this is not my own idea. This is said by many who have discussed this, is that even though the Rambam understood that the Torah essentially made everything of the Chachamim commanded that we must obey them, the Torah also stressed that this sort of second system of the Chachamim not be treated as on par between what is commanded by the Torah. What the Torah commands, that's, that's supreme, that's eternal, that's immutable. Chachamim are allowed to add on to, and whatever they add on to, we're obligated to fulfill from the Torah. But nevertheless, the Torah at the same, the same time tells us, do not treat these additions of the Chachamim as on par as Torah commandments. Treat them differently. Realize they are obligatory, but they have a lower status. And that lower status has a number of implications. One implication, first of all, is that it can, it can be changed, right? If a Beidin Agador in one generation makes a certain rabbinical institution, that's something that a later Beidin Agador is allowed to change under certain conditions, but they can do it. Something that's Minat Torah, no Beidin can come in and, and cancel, um, only maybe in temporary situations but certainly not in any way permanent. And also, treat it differently. Don't treat it as on the same level of authority as things Minat Torah, but rather treat it, as, treat it as something less severe and apply all these leniencies to it. In other words, according to this answer, this sort of second system of the Rabbanan was the, its obligatory nature was created by the Torah, but at the same time, the Torah also created as a sort of lower system in the sense that you sort of have to see and understand the difference between what's from the Torah and the primary commandments and all the sort of secondary level of the Dirabanan, of which is coming as a support or as a defense system around the primary system of the Torah. It almost seems like uh, it's the right it's to have this mechanism for rabbis to be malleable over time. Exactly. That, and that's another source that they quoted in the Rambam in the Moren Nebuchim, uh, um, in, in chapter 41 of section 3, where he says that very point, that he says the Torah could not address all situations, and that's why the Torah created, like you said, this malleable system. But you have to understand that this system is malleable, and it's not on par with, with, with what was instituted in the Torah. Beautiful. Okay, I see here a question in the chat. Is, if it is not possible to have Igzirah and Igzirah, is there a difference between rabbinical and Torah mitzvot? Okay, this is a very good question. There are actually opinions that the rule of not having gzirat gzirat also applies to Torah mitzvot. It applies both to rabbinical mitzvot and even to Torah mitzvot. Okay, but that's that's like a whole um, <laughs> other subject. There's your next year, Rav. There's your next year. Well, yeah, like I said, this is endless here. So, um, um, okay. And Rav, right. you, you mentioned Hakam Faur. What yes. did you say his take on it was? Um, he, he, he I, I, look, I have to read it more carefully. I just, I just ran into it today and I read through it. I, I, he, I think one of the points that he, he tries to stress, and this is sort of a fundamental point that I think he wants to make between the Rambam and the Ramban, is that according to the Rambam, there cannot be any other source of ob obligation other than the Torah. That the Ramban and certain philosophical system would accept sort of that the authority for something could come also not just from the Torah, but from another source. And that's the Ramban's position, as opposed to the Ramban philosophically objected, and it all has to, the authority of Chachamim, it all has to come from the Torah. There cannot be another source which is obligatory. You could very, very well that he's also uh, saying the idea that I said as to sort of the demarcation between the two systems, but I have to read them more carefully. But that's sort of the first fundamental point that I saw that he writes. That's in his first, um, his first article in, in the book. So, and, uh, so I, think, I, I, I think he just elucidates it very well, sort of this, this point of difference between the Rambam and the Rambam. Any other questions or comments? Okay, very good. Thank you, everyone. Thank you so much, Diane. That was a, a you know, fundamental, I guess, machloket and really built on it. We learned so much. Um, we're looking forward to having you next time as well. And um, I think that's it. Um, if there's any more ad uh, announcements, Sina? Um, no, just a big thank you to the Diane. Fantastic, uh, as usual. Um, everybody, please remember the survey. Uh, I think everyone in the group, in the, in the, in the group right now, has probably done it. 
uh, in the chat right now has probably done it. But if you haven't, it's in the WhatsApp group. Uh, next week, we've got um, Rav Dweck, uh, part five of the Hakamat of the Mishnah Torah. I think there's two more parts left before we go on to a new series with Rav Dweck. Thank you all for being here. Diane, again, huge thank you. And please remember to share the recording with us, Diane, because that's something we all want to review. Beautiful. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, everybody, for joining We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Bet Midrash. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast player. Don't forget to rate and review. Have a wonderful day.